Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. All right, thank you. It's good to be with you this morning to uh, continue our series as we are in the outward journey. And uh, specifically, we are continuing our series this morning in the book of Acts. So uh, I hope that um, this has been a good kind of few weeks as we've looked at the book of Acts together. And uh, as Pastor Cameron and I kind of envisioned what this series would look like, we wanted it to be very uh, kind of grounded in uh, a section of Scripture so that as you are following along, as you're listening to the sermons, you can really get a sense of um, the richness of Scripture when it comes to talking about the outward journey. And uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was here, one of the points that I um, had shared from uh, the first couple of chapters of the book of Acts is that the, as we see the start of the church and as the church is formed, is that the church is, uh, is not the building, the church is not even the people, the church is when the people of God are called together for a particular purpose. So when God's people are called together for a particular purpose, they are the church. And what is the purpose that the church is called to? That purpose is to bear witness to Jesus Christ Uh, in this world. And so this whole idea of bearing witness is a very, very rich imagery uh, in the scriptures, that we bear witness to who God is. We bear witness to Christ in this world. And so this morning I want to share with you and talk a little bit more about what does it mean to bear witness? What does it mean to bear witness to Christ? And I I really... uh, resonated with a couple of things there that, um, that Justin was sharing. Specifically, he said, he referenced the idea that it's not just simply about us as individuals, right? The whole story of, of what God is doing in the world isn't just about us as individuals, right? That's such a small story, right? Can you imagine if, every, if the fulfillment of everything was just about you? Oh, that would be awful, right? <laughs> right? But the problem is, so oftentimes, we live our lives like that's the only story, right? That we do want it to be all about us. And that's the old nature, right? That's the old person that says, I just want it to be all about me, right? Because when it's all about me, then I'm in charge. And it's more comfortable that way. And when we give our lives to Christ, we actually are surrendering that part of us that wants it to be just about us. And instead we say, you know what? It's actually all about what God is doing in this world to overcome sin and death and hell. And the victory is assured, as we've sung about this morning, yet the victory has to be worked out one step at a time and one life at a time and one institution at a time and one community at a time and one city at a time and one nation at a time. And that's what the outward witness is. That's what we do. So we are part of this much larger story of what God is doing in the world. And the victory is assured, and the great joy of the gospel is that we get to be part of how God does all of that. We actually get to be part of it. So we, we go from darkness to light. We go from being part of the problem to part of the solution. And the outward journey is how do we partner with God? How do we participate with God in what he's doing in the world. There's no uh, one single right way to witness. I think sometimes we think there's just one way to do it, and it's the ABC, or it's this step, this step, and this step, and then 
we've witnessed. Ta-da. And it's actually um, not quite that simple or straightforward, but that's a good thing. And I'm going to share uh, three different examples with you this morning from the book of Acts. It's a little bit later in the book of Acts than where we were last time. And I want to show you from the Apostle Paul's life that there's different ways to bear witness to Christ. And when we see the three examples this morning from Acts 16, 17, and 18, we're going to see that um, Paul doesn't have just one single strategy and that it's okay to have different strategies when it comes to uh, bearing witness. There's different ways to do it. And that's actually great. That's really good. Because on the one hand, we understand the gospel. We understand who Jesus is. But on the other hand, we have to understand the particular place, the particular people that we are trying to bear witness to. Amen. That's good. And if you don't know both, then there's a mismatch. Yeah. Right? And so um, in seminary, we, you know, we train uh, pastors and, and church leaders to say, you've got to understand scripture and understand communities. And when you understand both well, then that's when you can truly bear witness and see fruit. So that's what we want to look at this morning, is how did Paul do that from the book of Acts? Well, the first uh, chapter we're going to look at this morning is Acts chapter 16. I'm basically just going to summarize this, and if you want to follow along on, on your phone or your Bible, that's absolutely great. But I'm going to summarize the story for you just for the sake of time this morning. So I'm going to cover three chapters worth. And in Acts 16, uh, Paul is in one of his missionary journeys. And so the second half of the book of Acts is pretty much following Paul as he goes on these different missionary journeys, as he goes around uh, planting and starting churches and encouraging churches, and he's bringing the gospel message of Jesus to places that have not heard the message before. Now, in a lot of the places he goes to, there had been rumors about this new way of Jesus, but people maybe didn't know a lot about it. And Paul was going to these new places, and he's bearing witness to who Jesus actually is. And as a result of that, we would see local church congregations that would be started after Paul um, had been in that place. So we want to talk about three cities where we see Paul do this. And uh, first of all, uh, we're going to be looking at the city of Philippi the city of Philippi. And this is referenced, Paul's time in the city of Philippi is referenced in Acts chapter 16. And uh, this is the same city that we have the, the book of uh, Philippians that Paul wrote to the church congregation a little bit later. But we see when Paul goes to the city of Philippi that he actually uh, focuses on three different individuals. He bears witness to three specific individuals. So uh, Luke is the author of the book of Acts, and when Luke is telling us the story, when he's documenting the story of Paul's time in Philippi, he does it in a very particular way, because he wants us to get this very kind of focused message. And the focused message is that the gospel is for individual people. And so that is what Justin shared this morning, the gospel is for individual people, right? People are individual people, are ready to hear the gospel. And we see that in what Paul uh, does in terms of bearing witness in Philippi. So I want to talk quickly about the three different people that Paul meets in Philippi. The first person is a businesswoman called Lydia. A businesswoman called Lydia. So Paul goes to the city of Philippi, and Paul would normally go to the synagogue uh, when he would go to a new city, and he would normally talk to the Jews, and he would talk to the God-fearers, who were uh, Gentiles who had come into the Jewish faith. And um, 
The challenge in Philippi was there was no synagogue. So Paul had to start somewhere else. So Paul goes uh, to a place that's kind of known during that time and in that culture as a place that people would go to, to worship. And he goes to, to this river and he uh, sees that there are some people who are worshiping there. So the fact that there's no synagogue tells us that there were less than 10 male Jews in the city of Philippi at that time. Because that's what you needed to start a synagogue. So Paul is starting from absolute scratch. There's no history, there's no background, there's no Old Testament knowledge. There's none of that already embedded in the city of Philippi. And the city of Philippi at this time was a very uh, well-known city. It actually had this very particular status. It was known as a Roman city, which doesn't mean much to us, but to them was huge because it had this very, very particular status. If you were a citizen of the city of Philippi, it meant that you had certain privileges within the Roman Empire. It meant that you had status, it meant that you um, had certain like, business and tax advantages, but the big thing is that you were kind of seen as a Roman. And this was like a really big thing. So for Paul to go to the city is very strategic when it comes to mission. And the city also had a lot of uh, uh, Roman soldiers who had fought for the empire and had retired to the city because it was, had such a high status and a high value. So this is a place that's, that's completely under the direct authority of the Roman Empire, and there's very, very little Jewish uh, witness and foundation for Paul to build on. So what does he do? He meets three individuals. So the first is Lydia, who is a person he meets at this place that's in, by the river, instead of going to the synagogue, and he meets her, and it says uh, in the book of Acts in chapter 16 that uh, her heart was just so open her heart was so open. She was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart, and, sh- and she responded to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. And if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. So Lydia and her household, they come to faith in Christ because the Lord had just prepared her heart to receive the message. And she invites Uh, Paul and his traveling companions to come uh, and spend time at her home. And that's a significant cultural thing. To invite someone into your home was a really, really big deal in that time. And it meant that you were completely um, uh, kind of considered to be together now. You were uh, socially, to invite someone into the home meant that you were completely um, happy to be aligned with them publicly. And so Lydia is saying to Paul that she is a Christian and she is happy to be seen as a Christian in the city at that time. So that was a big deal, and that's the, the real kind of foundation for the church starting in Philippi. At the end of, uh, a little bit later, at the end of um, this uh, account of Paul being in Philippi, we see it's at Lydia's house where the believers first met. And so she provides a place for this church to start. So God prepared her heart, and it was a way for Paul to get a foothold in the city. So uh, Lydia has invited Paul and his companions to stay with her, which means they have a base, they have somewhere not to stay in the city, so they stick around for a while. And that leads us to the second person that Paul meets, the second individual. And this individual is really different because it is um, a slave girl who is possessed by an evil spirit. Very different. And so how does Paul meet the slave girl? Well, Paul is going back and forth, he's in the city, and this girl is uh, possessed by this evil spirit, and she keeps following Paul and yelling 
And she keeps yelling out that these men are telling you about the Lord Most High and they're telling you about salvation. And it would happen day after day. And um, Paul gets really, really irritated. It says that she kept this up for many days and finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. So here we have this uh, slave girl who is possessed by an evil spirit. And um, the, the spirit, the way it's written, the spirit is not just any old spirit. It's actually what's known as a python spirit. And that spirit was kind of the dominant spirit um, in the city and in the region that people would worship. And it had possessed this girl. And people would go to people if they had questions, if they wanted to know the future, they would go to her and she would act like a fortune teller. But it wouldn't just be her giving fortunes, it would be the spirit talking through her. And so at the time, people would put a lot of stock in this. She actually would make a lot of money doing this because people really put a lot of trust in uh, this spirit talking through her. And we see that she has owners. And uh, they are really upset when Paul casts out this evil spirit, right? Because they view her as property, right? And as a source of income, right? Well, now she's no longer a source of income. So this brings great uh, freedom, we can imagine. This brings great freedom to this particular girl. And yet, it sets off this whole chain reaction of events where the owners get upset and they drag Paul and Silas in front of the local authorities. And they basically say, look, these guys are causing all sorts of trouble. And if there was one thing the Romans didn't like, it was trouble and just general people getting riled up. Because remember, they are the, the ruling authority, right? And they do not take kindly to any type of rebellion. So even the smallest little bit of rebellion, they were hauling people in front of court magistrates and putting them in prison. So they put Paul and Silas in prison because the slave girl owners got so upset and they got everyone worked up and they got Paul and Silas put in jail. And that leads Paul and Silas to meet the third individual in this story. See, God is amazingly at work in each of these encounters, right? It doesn't matter where Paul ends up. He bears witness to Jesus Christ. So, so uh, Paul and Silas are in prison. And uh, when I was in Sunday school, I would hear this story a lot, I felt like. And so they're in the, they're in the stocks, right? Because the magistrate said to the prison officer, they said, the prison guard, they said, make sure to lock them up really secure. So they, so they did that. And uh, this third individual is the prison guard. And uh, the prison guard or the jailer has Paul and Silas nicely bound up. And uh, they're in the stocks. And uh, what happens to Paul and Silas? They are worshiping God, right? They're worshiping. And it's midnight and they're worshiping. Maybe not your first response when you are locked up in jail and in the stocks, but it's an example of bearing witness, right? And the jailer is hearing them bear witness to Jesus Christ through their worship. So they're worshiping. They're bearing witness to who Jesus is. They're bearing witness. And all of a sudden, there's an earthquake. And the earthquake is so severe that all the doors of the prison fly open and the stocks shake loose. And the prisoners are free to leave. Except that they don't leave. They stay. Now, the jailer is responsible for the prisoners, right? And before he realizes that all the prisoners have stayed, he presumes they've all escaped or they're about to. So from a career standpoint, this is a low point for the jailer, right? 
This is about as bad as it gets. In fact, he has, he's feeling so bad, he's actually about to kill himself, right? This is no joke for the, like, he's like, I might as well just, there's no way out of this. And it's at that exact moment that Paul says, essentially, don't do it. All of us prisoners are still here. And what's the jailer's response? What's the jailer's response? He cries out and says, what must I do to be saved? So something about Paul and Silas bearing witness in their worship paved the way for this jailer and his household to be saved and baptized that same night. So Paul bears witness to three very, very different people. So the church at Philippi starts with a businesswoman, a slave girl who's freed from an evil spirit, and a jailer who represents the oppression of the Roman Empire. Those are three very different people to start a church with. And we see that Paul bears witness to three, very individ- three different individuals. Now Luke is the author. He's telling us Paul's story here. And Luke is really specifically picking three people and telling us the gospel is for all different types of people. These three people look really different from each other. They're from different backgrounds. They dealt with different issues. They had different needs. But they all received the gospel because Paul bore witness to Jesus Christ. And Paul did it in whatever circumstance he was in, in whatever situation he was in. So that's what we learn from the city of Philippi about what it means to bear witness, is the gospel is for individuals and it's for people who look really different than each other. The gospel does not care about where people are from and what people look like and any of that. The gospel is for everyone. From there, Paul um, eventually makes his way to Athens, and now we transition to Acts chapter 17. And there's probably, I would guess, this chapter of Acts is probably one of the most heavily studied, researched, debated, talked about chapters in all of the book of Acts, in Acts 17. Specifically the part where Paul goes to Athens. Now, at this time, Athens was still a pretty important city. It wasn't like the absolute height. Athens actually was at its peak uh, well before Christ was born. If you think about Greek philosophy and Athens, and you think about scholars like Socrates and Plato, these were all you know, earlier in Athens. So Athens was still important, but Athens had kind of started its long kind of decline by the time that Paul was there. But it's still was highly regarded. The Romans, it was part of the Roman Empire, but the Romans gave Athens this kind of special uh, privilege because of its history and because of its prestige. So Athens at this time wasn't known as a major business city. It wasn't known for its trade or its commerce, but it was known as the kind of main place for new ideas. It still was this philosophical hub. And there are still places like this in the world today where it's, you know, if you have a new idea, if you have this, you know, and we think about maybe this in terms of um, like business too, like if you have a new startup idea, right? It doesn't, like there's just certain places in the world where it's better to be located if you have certain ideas and you want to bump into other people that also have ideas and maybe together you can work on something to see this new idea flourish. Well, Athens was like that. It was the place to be if you had a new idea, a new philosophy, a new way to view life, to make meaning of the, of the universe. And so, 
Paul goes to Athens. Now, there was a synagogue, and Paul was in Athens, and he was sharing there. And Paul would also go to the local market, where there were people there who were, uh, who were Greek philosophers. And Paul, and we know because certain ph- philosophical schools, there was the Epicureans and the Stoics, and Paul was interacting with them. We read about that in Acts 17. And they had different ways of viewing the world. They didn't always agree with each other. And Paul's interacting with them, and they're saying, like, oh, essentially, who's this guy? Like, what's he talking about? This is new. We're not really sure what, what he's talking about. These are strange. They say, you are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. <laughs> and so the imagery here is that Paul, the, the Greek expression that's used here in the original writing is that um, Paul is like a little bird who goes and he picks up a little bit of seed over here, and a little bit over here, and a little bit over here and here, and he kind of just picks up little bits of information and picks it up and drops it and picks it up and drops it. And that's why it didn't make any sense to the Greeks, because that's how they, they use this expression. Like, Paul's got all these little bits of information, and it, it doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense to them. So they said, we want to hear more. So Paul's born witness to Christ at the synagogue. He's done it at the market, and they say, come to our meeting at the Areopagus, which is also known as Mars Hill. It's a very, very important place in Athens. And that's the place where you would go to talk about your ideas. It's the leading thinkers of the city, and you would go and you would talk about your ideas. So this is not necessarily a trial. It's just you're going to this very kind of formal situation where you can talk about and share your ideas. And so they're like, we heard it a little bit in the market. We want, no, this is your chance, Paul, to tell us about whatever it is you're talking about. So one of the things we know from the way that this story has been written in Acts 17 is that Paul has been spending a little bit of time in Athens. And actually, the very first thing that we learn is that Paul has a strong response to just being in the city itself. And Paul is actually greatly distressed during his time in Athens. And and what is it that causes Paul to be so distressed? It's because the city is so full of idols. The whole city is just full of idols, which means it's full of false worship. You have a city full of people who are religious and worshiping the wrong things. And the Athenians or the Greeks, they were so religious, they had statues and idols to every god they could imagine. So if you think about all of the different things that you might want to have a god for, they had a statue for it. Now, why did they do that? They were very religious, and they wanted to make sure that they were covering all of their bases. They wanted to make sure they had absolutely every life situation covered, and they had a god for that. Right? Um, in fact, they were so careful about this that they had a statue, and it wasn't to any particular god. It was dedicated to an unknown god. So what they were saying is, we're smart enough to figure out we probably don't have all the gods accounted for, so what we're going to do is just have a catch-all idol that's to any gods we don't know about. That's pretty smart, right? So Paul shows up. Now, Paul has a choice, right, to bear witness. And remember, this is intellectual. This is philosophical. You know, Paul could have shown up and he could have said, you are all 
Gentiles, you are cursed under the law. You are of no hope. Well, that wouldn't have made any sense, right? I mean, cursed under the law, that's Jewish language, right? It doesn't make any sense to, to Greeks. So what does he do? He finds common ground. He finds common ground with them. And he starts off and he says, I see you're very religious. <laughs> well, the people of Athens can't disagree with that, right? Why, yes, we are very religious. Thank you very much. Yes. And Paul says, as I walked around, I saw you have many objects of worship. Yes. Yes, we do. Thank you, Paul. And uh, I also saw that you have an altar that says to an unknown God. Yep. Yep. Yes, we do, Paul. Uh, if you want to start and tell us something we are unaware of, that would be helpful. We know all this already. We are very religious. Thank you. We have lots of idols. We have an idol to an unknown God. And then Paul go, kind of changes the conversation a little bit. He says, so there's a God that you are ignorant of. Hmm. There's a God you don't know anything about. If you have a statue to an unknown God, it means you don't know anything about him. Wow. And I'm here to tell you all about him, is basically what Paul says. And Paul uses their culture and uses their way of thinking to very clearly tell them about the true and living God. And he talks about lots of different things that to us would be pretty familiar. And eventually he starts talking about the fact that there will be the resurrection of the dead and this final renewal of all things. And it's just such a different message for the Athenians. And some of them just can't accept it in that moment. It's just too much for them. And yet we see that some respond and believe in the message that, that Paul is sharing. Now, Paul has all sorts of uh, little ways that he drives home the message of who God is. He challenges the Greek thinking. The Greek, Greeks at that time, they thought that they kind of were this special privileged people, that their, their, their Greek race was, was superior to all, they just had the, all of these ideas. And Paul said, actually, we're all from the same, we're all from the same source. We're all from the same, we're, there's equality there. He challenges their ways of thinking in lots of different ways as you go through the subtlety and the nuance of what Paul shares. But in general, Paul wants to make the case that God is the creator God. He's the sustainer. He's sovereign over all nations, and he's the father of all people. These are categories that we know from Scripture. But remember, these Greek thinkers, they weren't Old Testament scholars. And Paul uses their culture to explain that God is the creator, God's the sustainer, He's over all nations, and that he's the father of all. And we see that some people were able to accept that message, and for others, it was a step too far. But Paul here, it's a really different approach to bearing witness. So remember, in our first example, it's very individual-focused. Individuals. You've got a businesswoman, a slave girl, and a jailer. What do we have this time? We don't any, no individuals are the forefront of this story. It's about ideas, and it's about culture. And Paul is showing here, in the way he talks at the Areopagus, and Luke, as the author, framing this up, is saying it's not just individuals that we bear witness to. We can bear witness to whole cultures. Wow. And Christianity, the Christian, the idea of what it means to be Christian, the Christian view of the world, actually has intellectual merit, 
actually makes sense and can go toe to toe with any other worldview, with any other way of viewing the world. And that's what Paul does in Acts 17. And very, very quickly in Corinth, chapter 18, Paul goes to the synagogue, bears witness, and they get really upset with him. So he says, all right, I've said my piece, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. So what does he do? He goes literally next door, sets up shop, keeps bearing witness. One of the things that's different here is Paul spends a year and a half, at least a year and a half in Corinth, and he becomes embedded in the local economy. He meets two other Jews, and he sets up a business as a tent maker so that he's not dependent on anyone else. He's making an income as a tent maker. And this was strategic. It was a strategic business because every two years there were the, these games called the Ismian Games. They weren't as famous and they haven't lasted like the Olympic Games, but it was a similar idea. And people would come from all over to compete in these games every other year and they'd need somewhere to stay, so they would need a tent. And they would come to tent makers and they would order a tent. And so Paul sets up shop. And it's a strategic move, and he embeds himself in the local community as a business person, as somebody who's just part of the city. And over the long haul, he bears witness as he makes tents and as he's there in that city that was known as a prominent city in the Roman Empire, a place of business, a place of commerce, and he sets himself up right in the heart of it and bears witness, and we see the ongoing way that the church was established, because we have First and Second Corinthians that bear witness to the church in the city and the issues that Paul would pastor them through in the days to come. It's another really different example of what it means to bear witness. Paul wasn't just in and out of the city for a brief period of time. He was embedded. He was part of the local culture and the local economy. Three different cities, three different ways to bear witness to individuals, to culture and ideas, and also being embedded within the local culture of a city. There's no one way to bear witness. There's no one way to bear witness as an individual. There's no one way to bear witness as a church. And so our question, just very simply from our text this morning, is who are the Lydia's who are ready, whose hearts are open to hear the gospel. Who, when they hear it, will respond just like that because God has prepared their hearts. Um, Who are the people like the slave girl who are under oppression? Who need deliverance? Who need freedom? Who are people like the jailer who are at their lowest point? That life circumstances have aligned in such a way that they just can't even envision going on in life. And it's right at that moment that the gospel came to them. What ideas in our culture can we bring the gospel to bear? Where can we find common ground culturally with other people whose ideas are completely different from us? You know, unfortunately, we're at a point where we feel like in our culture, if I don't agree with you 110%, then I can't even talk to you. If Paul had that attitude, he would never have even shown up. Right? But Paul wanted to find enough common ground with someone 
so that he could use that common ground as a basis to bear witness. In what ways can we find common ground? What are the things in our city, what are the things in people's lives that we know that's common ground? Then we can say, you know what, I can stand with you on that common ground. Now, that doesn't mean I have the same answer that you do, the same solution. It doesn't mean I have the same vision that you do for the future. But I can bear witness to you about Christ from our common ground. And then what does it look like to be in a culture? What does it mean to be in a place? What does it mean to be there over time and to bear witness to Christ over time? So different ways that we bear witness. Remember, this is all part of our artward journey. And I just want to close this morning and pray for you that as you individually and as we think about this as a church, that we would start to receive more of those ideas and thoughts and visions about what does it mean to bear witness in these different ways.